0: Reading is Jonah chapter 4. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord This isn't what I said, Lord, when when I was still at home. This is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you're a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry? Jonah went out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a gourd and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the gourd. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm, which chewed the gird, and so it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed onto Jonah's head, so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the ground? It is, he said, I'm so angry I wish I were dead. But the Lord said, You have been concerned about this gourd, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their left hand from their right, and also many animals? May God bless the reading of his holy word. So we welcome Nigel to speak to us this morning. (coughs) Nigel, can I pray for you? Father, we pray for your blessing upon Nigel this morning. Father, speak through him. Father God, may his words be your words to us. We thank you for all that he is to us as a congregation. And we thank you for Linda, for all that they are together. Bless Nigel this morning and use him for your glory. Amen.
1: It's lovely to be back here this morning especially at the end of this series on mission which is uh, many of you know is a subject very dear to my heart and uh, as we come to this final reflection in our series on mission and on the book of Jonah um, we're going to be looking at Jonah and considering the ways in which as a church community and as individuals we're involved in mission today. So this morning I'd like firstly to review very briefly some key messages from the talks earlier in the series so it all links up then we'll look at the fourth chapter of jonah that ross has read to us this morning and then we'll update ourselves on the on the ministry of uh, bishop deziri and his wife claudeline in goma at one of our mission partners so you might or might not have been here for five weeks uh, i missed the first two and had to catch up with those online So at the beginning of the series, Calf Price reminded us of Jesus' great commission given to the disciples at the end of Matthew's Gospels. Go, he said, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that I commanded you. And this could only be carried out because all authority had been given to Jesus and he promised always to be with them. And reflecting on those words, I remembered that two years ago we sent some financial support as a church to a Baptist missionary named Ben Francis, who was serving God in Asia, particularly in the city of Calcutta, but also traveling on a peace boat around the islands in, the, on, in, northern, in, in northern India. And Ben. Leads what's called a disciple making movement. So essentially, not only in cities like Calcutta, but in small islands he visited by boat, where small church communities needed to become independent and self sufficient very quickly, becoming disciples so they could then share the gospel to create more. And we were also reminded by Kath that morning that we can support and build each other up in our journey of faith whether here or in countries overseas, wherever God has placed us, and that we need to show acceptance and unconditional love using language respectfully and gently. And then in the second week, Jonathan reminded us that we're all sent somewhere, whether locally here or further afield, and that it's sometimes easy to run from challenges. And we focus specifically on, the, on our ministry to young people, as Jonathan described, some of his work with Romsey Mill in Camborne and the wider Cambridge area. And I'd just like to add this morning that, as well as Jonathan working for Romsey uh, Jonathan works for Romsey Mill, but he's also involved in the ministry of Wickham. And that as the, Cam- the Camborne Church financially supports the work of Wickham, the West Cambridge Christian Youth Ministries, which links together local churches of different denominations in our area. And Wickham organises monthly first youth services that are in our notices, which are held at Compton Baptist Church, social events, leadership training, an annual weekend residential and a group trip to Soul Survivor in the summer. Our own young people benefit enormously from gathering with a larger group from time to time. And it's especially beneficial for young people who live in smaller villages and churches locally, where there is no permanent youth group or youth leader. And then in week three, Chris Duffett recognised that we can all sometimes identify with Jonah, the reluctant missionary who messed up. And when this happens, we need to follow Jonah's response from the belly of the great fish. To call out to God. To know that we are known, remembered and loved by God. And then to be prepared to go and do whatever God has called us to. What I have vowed I will make good, said Jonah, before he was spewed out from the belly of the fish. And then last week we had a visiting speaker, Dan Chalk, who leads the people charity, who links with Uzumeteli, And he reminded us that the story of Jonah illustrated the fact that the people of Israel had been chosen from the moment of Abraham's calling to be a light and a blessing to all nations. And Jonah's call to go and speak to the inhabitants of the violent enemy Assyrian capital city of Nineveh was simply an example of God wanting to share that love, to reach out and demonstrate that his love was not confined to his chosen people. His salvation was something to be shared but not guarded jealously for ourselves. And it's this motivation to share God's love and his good news and to love our neighbour as ourselves, that led Pastor George and Jacqueline to develop their ministry in Uzumitele, supporting families and children in the slums of Gituamba, there in rural Kenya. And so now we come to chapter four of Jonah. Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry, we read. Why? Surely Jonah had just witnessed the greatest possible success of a prophet. He'd obediently, eventually, gone to an enemy city in fear of his life, proclaimed God's message of judgment, and then the people had responded, starting with the ordinary citizens and leading right up to the king. I think if Jonah had been taking a degree in mission and theology, he'd have got a distinction in his practical assignment. Well, Jonah's angry because he can't accept what nevertheless he knows about God's character. In verse 2 we read, I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. But Jonah thought the Ninevites should get what they deserved for their behaviour. Probably a thunderbolt of destruction. And Jonah went out of the city, up a hill, built a shelter and sat down to watch it happen. But God cancelled the destruction. Why? Well, I think it's because the Ninevites responded and they repented. Calling on God and turning away from their evil ways, we read. let's be clear this isn't God being nice or soft this is God responding to a clear action of repentance demonstrated by changed behavior. Dan Chalk did mention last week that many years later over a hundred years later Nineveh was eventually destroyed and this was predicted by another prophet Nahum But by that date, I think God had obviously decided that whatever repentance had taken place earlier was no longer evident. And the Ninevites were no longer capable of change. Judgment will come if there's no response to God's call for repentance. And this message is consistent throughout the Bible. Jesus' message of good news often began with repent and believe. Repent for the kingdom of God is near. And God would respond to people's actions and change lives. As when John the Baptist warned religious leaders coming to him for baptism, produce fruit, he said, in keeping with repentance. Confessing on its own is not enough. It needs to lead to a changed life. However, if the fruit of a changed life is evident, we can be encouraged by what John writes in his first letter. If we confess our sins... He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So why did God respond in this way to the Ninevites? Because it's totally in keeping with his character. He told Abraham in Genesis 12, all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Salvation was not exclusively for the chosen people right from the beginning of God's plan. And various major prophets brought blessings to individuals outside the chosen people, often much to the disgust of the Jews. Elijah, for example, provided for a widow in Saraphath in Sidon, which is now Lebanon, and raised her son from the dead. Elisha healed the commander of the enemy Syrian army. The Apostle Peter was eventually persuaded to go and visit the household of the Gentile Roman centurion, Cornelius. And after seeing the Holy Spirit poured out, Peter exclaimed, God has granted even the Gentiles repentance unto life. And here we are. Salvation is spread. So do we sometimes find it hard to accept God's compassion towards others? Are we offended when we remember that Jesus told the thief on the cross that he would be in paradise later that day, thinking perhaps that he didn't deserve it? In that early week in our series, Jonathan spoke about the difficulty of loving young people sometimes because of their attitudes and their lifestyles. Whether young or older, do we sometimes become so angry at the behaviour and attitudes of others perhaps with good reason, that we can no longer pray that they will change. And we end up wishing God's destruction on them, metaphorically if not literally, rather than praying for them and loving them in such a way that they might recognize God's love for them and find repentance and change. That's particularly true when people are going through very difficult circumstances. And change seems very hard to imagine. Remembering just one other story, when Abraham's son Lot was in the city of Sodom, which God had vowed to destroy because of their evil practices, Abraham prayed to God and negotiated that God would spare the city if only they could find ten righteous people. What a contrast to the attitude of Jonah, who wanted to see God's judgment carried out. And so in a final comic twist to Jonah's story, God allows a good or a vine to grow up and shelter Jonah from the sun. And then mischievously he sends a worm to chew the roots so it withers and dies, leaving Jonah exposed to the burning sun. And when Jonah gets angry, God gently points out, I imagine with a smile, that Jonah's so preoccupied with himself that he's more concerned about the death of this vine than the potential death of 120,000 people in Nineveh and that perhaps his priorities need to change. So perhaps we can ask ourselves this morning, do we sometimes become so preoccupied with our own situations, whatever they might be, that we lose sight of the needs of those around us, whether locally in our own community or those living in disadvantaged situations? such as the Gituamba Amber slums near Uzumatele in Kenya, or the town of Goma in the Democratic Republic of Congo. <clears throat> so let's now look briefly at the ministry and mission of Bishop Desiré and his wife Claudeline in Goma, which is in the Democratic Republic of Congo, one of the poorest countries in the world. And our relationship with Desiri was established by our former minister, Peter Wood who worked with him in Africa. And in addition to issues of poverty and dealing with refugees displaced from the civil war, the Democratic Republic of Congo also faces a rampant Ebola epidemic, which according to Derizire's latest email is currently about 400 kilometers from Goma itself. However, effective treatment and prevention from contagion is very difficult out there at the moment because of the civil war going on and because many health workers have had to be withdrawn for their own safety. So David, if we're able just to put up the GOMA slides, we'll just look very briefly at a few slides. So there's a picture of Desiree and Claudeline. Desiree addressing a conference and Claudeline working with women and we'll have a mention I'll mention a bit more about that in a moment in his most recent email to me Desiree said this we worship God for what he is and is doing and that he has not forsaken us he is our Emmanuel and we bless him I also want to thank Canborn Church for their love for us and we also love you people and pray that we remain one in Jesus very effective ministry is going on now that Bezeria is the bishop and traveling quite a lot in the Goma area this is a picture of a confirmation service recently and he said that the Holy Spirit was moving in that area he said recently he'd ordained 16 priests that people were coming every month for baptism and for confirmation that there were weddings happening monthly and a lot of work is going on in the area of justice and peace and reconciliation between conf- uh, people who are in conflict and Desira also does a lot with young people there this is a picture of a youth conference which took place last summer and they're also very involved as is the case in much of Africa in organizing football leagues for young people which is a good way of drawing them in creating contact uh, and then enabling them to hear the message of the gospel at the same time. <clears throat> and the other programs that are going on, there's a lot of work being done with children. I'm read through the slides. Early years primary education, which is so vital in a country where many children otherwise would not be educated. And education will allow people to break the poverty cycle. And often it's through school, but food can be given. In fact, a couple of years ago, or maybe longer now, I remember the young people here did a cycle ride in order to raise money for the feeding programme here, so that porridge could be given to their children in schools uh, on a weekly basis. Otherwise, many at home would be malnourished and would not receive anything. Here's a picture of the children eating porridge in one of the schools in one of their classrooms. And another picture of the children out in the playground. <coughs> you can contrast the schools that they have and the facilities they have there uh, with our own four primary schools here in Campbell. And in addition to working with children, they're also doing a lot of work, particularly Clodoline with vocational training to allow people to become independent and (coughs) self-sufficient, particularly empowering women to begin businesses in dressmaking, bag weaving, cooking and raising animals to earn money to support themselves. And also, it's important to note that it's a very violent society in places, particularly in the rural areas. There are many victims of rape, which affects children or, or young girls and women. And that trauma needs to be dealt with and Desiree and Claudeline do a lot of work in helping people and supporting people who've gone through those traumatic experiences uh, in counselling. So one or two pictures, there's the dressmaking classes that Claudeline runs, vocational training where they are shown how to raise goats, which can obviously be to provide milk and meat for themselves and also agriculture to grow crops so that again they can be self-sustaining. So all of that then is the work that is going on led by Desiree and Clodeline and by many others that we support on a regular basis. And As a reminder the church council on annual basis has been agreeing to send 1500 pounds a year from our giving to the church to support the work of Desiree and Clodeline. And a similar amount, just to to wrap up this series, is going (coughs) to Uzumatele, where Pastor George and Jacqueline, whom we heard about last night, uh, last week, sorry, uh, (coughs) are running their work with children and in the community there. A reminder that we also support the work of Wickham. You might recognise somebody in the middle of that picture. That's from one of the weekends away. (laughs) And they just had another one back in march and all the work that goes on there i think it's important just to realize how privileged we are to have a largest church with the largest youth group that exists on its own and how important it is for those young people to meet with others and to allow other people from elsewhere to be able to come together and do things together to create a critical mass of what goes on and then i'd just like to take the opportunity of reminding people that we have also in the past supported the work of Arosha, which is a Christian conservation organization working in this country and in 19 other countries around the world uh, in order to try and show the link between the work of Christians and the importance of looking after God's earth and Given how important the whole question of environment has become. I think the work of Arosha is becoming more and more important so finally, just to conclude, if you looked on the back, and we haven't produced one for a while, might do one now, of the little mission and giving leaf that we've been putting out over the years, we have said that we try to link all our mission giving together under what's called the five marks of mission, which the worldwide Anglican Church brought together say these are the five things we ought to look at as a way of, discover, of judging whether or not what we're doing is appropriate and in line with what God is calling us to do. And it's a privilege to be able to support all of our mission partners, whether it's at home through Wickham or in many other ways here through Cafe 19, Parish Nursing, Food Bank, in our own community lives, or supporting people overseas in Uzumatele and Goma. And it's encouraging when individuals choose to support these ministries independently, as well as what we give through the church. And there are a number of ways in which we can do that. One of the ways, I make no apologise for mentioning it again, is last week Dan Chalk mentioned the Coffee-Free Friday, where for £10 a month you can sign up to put some extra money into the work they are doing to help the primary schools and the training of teachers and the whole community out in Uzumatele. And I have some more of the leaflets here, if you'd like to consider that and didn't do last week. But all our giving can be aligned with one or more of these five marks of mission. And as you'll see, as you look at those marks, our overseas partners are heavily involved in all of them effectively, even the last one to some extent, but certainly not only in proclaiming the good news, baptising and creating disciples, but also in responding to human need locally, trying to transform the unjust structures of the societies in which people live. And Wickham's directly involved in the first two, But at the same time encourages young people to look at the community in which they live and the wider world to take an interest in issues of service and injustice so that as they become christian citizens in the future uh, they can use they can look at those issues and make them priorities in what they do and the way they think and in terms of safeguarding the integrity of creation sustaining and renewing the earth if anyone's interested in knowing more about Arosha, uh, I do get actually sent a magazine on behalf of the church as well as one we get called Root and Branch, which is about the work of Arosha. This is all about actually the work of different churches in this country. So if anyone's interested, please ask me. I'll lend you the magazine which you can then pass on to other people. So to conclude. In the Act of the Apostles, when the Macedonian churches heard about the poverty afflicting Christians in Jerusalem... It was reported as follows. They gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability and urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. They gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. So may we continue as a church with the privilege we have to respond generously in accordance with their individual means, and to those <clears throat> as well as, as a church as a whole, responding to those with whom we are partners in the gospel, in our mission work. Let's pray. Loving Father, as we meet this morning here in Camborne, we remember those who are meeting elsewhere, particularly in Uzumitelli and in Goma, to come together and worship you and to hear your word, to make disciples and to seek to transform the society of which they are part. Lord, we thank you for that privilege. We ask that you continue to to lay those individuals and those communities on our hearts and continue to give to them, particularly by praying for them regularly and by giving according to our means. And we ask it in Jesus' name, amen.